I love you. So you said you like the uh, the interactive introductions. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, bring me on board. Well, there you go. <laughs> Here we there are. I'm the Green Traveler, <laughs> and I am the Faceless Leon. Uh, this is uh, Green and Faces on the Couch, a podcast about movies and TV, uh, and we're back with our playlist. Yeah. Back with Harry Potter. Harry Chamber Potter. of Secrets. Yeah, let's crack it 2002. open. 2002. Yeah, 2002. I think that was just one year after the last one. So I don't know if they filmed the back-to-back or if they just cranked it out like a motherfucker. But well, the kids definitely aged mostly the... a little bit. Yeah, yeah, they did. But they were already close to puberty age last time. So it could right. it could, yeah, literally just been a couple of months time off and then they just shot right up during could have that been. time could have been but man i mean we'll talk about it more when we get there but the difference between this movie and the third movie is <laughs> extreme yeah well especially yeah especially with uh harry and from for this movie and the first movie though with harry and like ron they definitely aged a lot their voices oh, yeah. got like much deeper and they got yeah. taller just a little taller but it's it's hilarious yeah, mostly the same cast. Still, Chris Columbus directing. You have the same. The atmosphere got even darker, which is great yeah. for this movie. I think. Oh yeah, for this particular movie, yeah. Yeah, like it, when when you're in the castle, it just feels like everything's candle lit, and and you know it's it's perfect for that castle creepy dungeon atmosphere. I love it. And uh, this is sadly the last film with Richard Harris as Dumbledore. He died later in two thousand one. I don't know if he got to see the movie, but he's great in it. Very, you know, just as small of a role as last time, but he gets to put more emotion into it this time. There's a little more Dumbledore. You get to see more of a, I would say, startled and intense. You know, once the the Chamber of Secrets is opened and the events start happening, he seems a little off-put and on edge. And yeah. I like, you know, I like the little the angry i mean there's no anger in his voice at all but there is more of an edge when he talks to people at times where he's just like enough with your nonsense the school is in danger yeah the yeah. school's in danger we're gonna figure it out and i really like that because you get to see that of richard harris and his dumbledore and you know again we don't get to see how him versus voldemort would have played out but i like the edge he gave here because i think that's what would have been brought forward is that 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 bit of uh intimidation that behind his his Dumbledore yeah paired with like <clears throat> I think last time you mentioned the word feeble which I I don't know if if that's necessarily entirely accurate but he definitely <clears throat> he is a very old man uh yeah. Richard Harris's Dumbledore uh, but yet he is so powerful all the power to to Richard Harris that he was able to portray that both those things at the same yeah. time feeble feeble is more from a physical standpoint in regards to he is a frail older man and right you know compared to michael uh, gambin who would replace him he's a little more of a spry yeah still active whereas richard harris was more of just slow paced and <laughs> meandering and i love it it was but really let's weird just, uh, and i i don't know how close the movies were together um, but it was really weird to watch the third movie where Michael Gammon was introduced 
and then yeah. go and watch that Wes Anderson movie. Um, ah, shit, the ah, what's it called? Uh, the one where where Bill Murray's the ex, the ocean explorer. Oh, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Yeah, yeah, it was a completely different character. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was very He's strange. a beautiful man. I, I do yeah. love I do love Michael Gambon, and we'll yeah. talk his Dumbledore when he comes. But uh, I guess let's just dive into Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, this is what I'm about. Yeah, we start off back at uh, the V Dursley residence, or Dudley. Yeah, Dudley's the kid. Dursley is their last name. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm dyslexic, so his, his, the, the son being named Dudley Dursley was always a problem for me because I could I never remember it. if their last name was yeah, if it was Dudley's or the Dursley's, and it's fucking alliteration. It's hard, man. But we're back there, and Vernon Dursley is having a huge sale thing with one of his with his customer or his boss or whatever. A big a big gathering, and he doesn't want Harry Potter to ruin it with his nasty uh, magicianess, disgustingness, wizardry stuff. So he has him basically force him. He forces him to hide away in his upstairs bedroom, make no sound, and act like he doesn't exist at all. I do want to point out that Uncle Vernon does mention how ungrateful Harry Potter is, even though they allowed him to move into Dudley's second bedroom. Yes, yes. He no longer lives in the tiniest cupboard beneath the stairs. He now has a proper bedroom, and and so his... His indentured servitude, I guess, is alleviated by having an actual bed. Oh my god! Very disgusting people, still, and they they're wonderfully portrayed by the same actors. They all again do great jobs at being easily hated characters, and I love it. Right? Like, I don't know. Did they get like yelled at by CPS or something? I guess it's probably not <laughs> CPS in uh, in UK. It's probably something else. Sorry. I'm sure Charles Dickens has talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Harry goes to his upstairs and all would have been fine that night, I guess, if there wasn't a house elf named Dobby just lurking about. And, you know, Dobby is very loud. They, they This is our first introduction to house elves. They're very obedient creatures, uh, but forced kind of in obedience. They, they're just raised in obedience, so they know nothing besides being slaves to wizards like that's just their life yeah. and which it's, is horrible yeah it is horrible and but dobby is a very amusing and beautiful character and i love him and you know he's just he he's just shocked by how kind of a person harry is you know harry's just like when dobby when house elves break the rules they have to hurt themselves that's yeah. just it's ingrained into their into their minds that if they if they do something wrong, they must receive punishment for it. And whenever he commits loud punishment, like banging his head against the lamp or anything like that, Harry is just like trying to be very kind and be like, no, don't do that. Don't hurt yourself. And Dobby's mind, it's just like, wow, what a kind human being. In Harry's mind, my uncle's going to come up here and beat my ass soon if you don't shut yeah. up. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, as a kid... I think I thought those parts were hilarious that this this character was hurting himself. But definitely as an adult watching this, I was just saddened at, at, by yeah. the state that Dobby is in. 
uh, voiced by uh, Toby Jones uh, of everything. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Speci- specifically, specifically, I want to point out of also Doctor Who, right. uh, he plays the Dream Lord in Doctor Who. And I didn't do this last time, but I want to make sure I do it this time because I'm going to do this for the next like five films or however many we have left. Mm-hmm. Here's the running of people in Harry Potter who also appear in Doctor Who. There's Argus Filch, played by David Bradley, who recreated William Hartnell in one of the most recent specials. There is Madame Hooch, played by Zodi uh, Wanamaker, I think, who plays Cassandra in New Who. Arthur Weasley plays uh, Rory's dad, and who the, the actor's name is Mark Williams. Oh my god, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot he was in it too. Right? Uh, Harry's dad who is Adrian Rollins, who I don't think appears in Chamber of Secrets, but he appeared in Sorcerer's Stone, or Philosopher's Stone, if you will. He plays an ood in an episode. And John Cleese, who, again, has a very bit role in this movie, played a character in Classic Who in an episode called City of Death, 1979's episode. Mm-hmm. So that's everybody who, <laughs> who has so far appeared in Doctor Who that has uh, appeared in uh, Harry Potter as well. I believe there might be more that I haven't uncovered, but yeah, if you're in England, you've been in Doctor Who and because of JK Rowling's stipulations that actors in the Harry Potter movies be English, you've also been in Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I guess, um, you know, honestly, now that I think about it, they, they, at least population wise, they have less people to draw from than than we do in the <laughs> u.s not that everyone in our country are actors or in theirs but uh, yeah i think it is i feel like it probably is more likely to have more actors be in several projects that are popular right especially when you have such a good pool to choose from like right yeah. if your top top tier actors in england are just brilliant actors who can go into any situation yeah. Like David Tennant, who will come about soon. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. What a role that was. Right. That, that That's like, that's one of my favorite roles he's ever done. But we'll get there in two more movies. But going back to um, Dobby and the House Elf. Dobby, you find out, has been very intent on Harry Potter not returning to Hogwarts because he knows of a plot to harm students at Hogwarts. And, you know, it's a very dark and dangerous plot that he's not able to speak anything about it'd be speaking against his family uh, i don't know if that's spoiling I, he says it in that scene so i don't think it's spoiling. as long as we don't say who the family is that's right but he's been keeping harry's friends letters from him that you know ron hermione other kids at hogwarts have been writing harry letters and dobby has been intercepting them because he believes if Harry doesn't think he has friends, he won't return to Hogwarts. Obviously, Harry can't live in the house that he's living in right now right, because it's yeah. cruel and inhumane. And so he's very adamant that he has to go back. But Dobby's Dobby plays a trick with a floating cake. And Harry, for whatever stupid reason, walks right behind it like he is floating, right. like covering yeah, it in the air himself. Just go in instead a of... different room. I mean, if it was like if they played it off a little bit differently, like if he was a little bit closer to cake, if he almost got it, I think it would have been better. Yeah. But 
yeah, he's just very slowly following it as if he's using <laughs> the wizard force or whatever to to drop it on their head. Right. Like, what are the Dursleys supposed to think other than yeah. he did this? Like, it very much looks like he did this. As you said, if he had just been in his room, he could have been like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. I didn't do anything. Right. And like, obviously, they still wouldn't have believed him. But it would have made them look worse still, right? Because right. they would have, you know, they would just be assuming bad things. But as is, it definitely looked like Harry was <laughs> to blame for that. <laughs> but right after that, he is locked in the bedroom. The uh, chains put on his bedroom window so he can't escape. The door is locked so he can't get out. You know, I, I assume he's like probably fed using a tray underneath the door or something. Oh my god. We don't get to see that because he is immediately rescued by the Weasley kids, uh, Fred, George, and Ron, the youngest boys, the youngest three boys, that is. They come in a flying House car. Gryffindor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much half of House Gryffindor is Weasley kids. <laughs> but they come in their flying car, which is enchanted by Ron's dad, who is a beautiful man. I love Arthur Weasley. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, he's just the goofiest of guys. And, you know, breaking breaking wizarding law, he enchants a car that's able to fly. And they come and rescue Harry in it without the parents knowing, of course. Um, right, right. Ron George, and, Ron, George, and Fred hatched this idea and snuck out at night to do this. Ron gets in so much fucking trouble. This, this, this <laughs> he <movie>. really does. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, this is like the one movie where it's just like I feel super bad for him because it's just it, – nothing good goes his way he's always yeah. put in a terrifying situation his his wand is broken like at the beginning of the movie yeah the whole movie's got a broken wand <laughs> and you're thinking like why doesn't he just get it replaced well his mom sent a, a screaming letter at him and he's too afraid to ask her <laughs> yeah. to replace it <laughs> oh man i assume Maybe there's another reason, but that's how I've always watched this movie. I think in the books, it's more along the lines of she told him that he broke it, and so you have you to know, deal it's with like it. they're not going to replace yeah. it. Yeah, it's like you shouldn't have fucking stolen the car in the first <laughs> place, which that's what they do because Dobby yet again intercepts Harry from getting on the pl- train. Right. Um. You know, once the once the Weasley twins rescue him, Harry spends some days at uh, the Weasleys' house, then he goes back to school. But Dobby tries to stop him, and you know Harry and Ron can't get through the the barrier to platform nine and three quarters. I don't know why I said it like that. It's been said now. <laughs> but anyways, he uh, instead of acting like reasonable kids, you know, and being like, let's just wait until our parents come out, and then they can get us to the castle because, duh, they could easily figure <laughs> yeah. out a way to get you to the castle. I don't know. Like, they, they introduced earlier in this movie that wizards can travel through fireplaces. Right, yeah. So why didn't Ron and Harry just think, huh, maybe let's just go back to the car and mom and dad could just set up one of those fireplace connections with the school when they get in right. contact and we can get over there that way. No, the dumbasses fly a fucking car. I'm sure missing the train does not, like, automatically disqualify you from a year at Hogwarts. I... Right. I'm sure there was other ways around it. Yeah, especially if you just explain that the enchantment broke somehow. Yeah. Just briefly. And you know how quickly that the Weasleys would have realized that they weren't there? That is one thing I did want to bring up, though. Okay, so Arthur Weasley wasn't there 
for Ron's first year. He was busy doing. Uh, he's one of. The, he's part of the Ministry of Magic, and Mrs. Weasley dropped all the kids off. They went onto the platform and got on the train. So the this movie, they both go through the platform to watch the kids <laughs> go off, and I'm thinking to myself, Jimmy's their favorite kid. <laughs> well. Yeah, it could also just be that they have, like, uh, let's see how many kids they have, if I can remember all. There's Bill, Charlie, Percy, Fred, George, Ron, and Jenny. I think there's seven kids. Yeah, there's there's six boys, one girl, and so this is their only girl. So that's that's how I saw it. It's also their After a while, they've seen, yeah, they've seen all their boys go through. Fred, George, and Ron are troublemakers, like... I mean, they 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 like Ron more than they like Fred and George. They're just troublemakers. But yeah, they they. I'm sure that the reason he was there was this is my only daughter. You know, it's a more impactful yeah. moment, I guess. And, and it's their last chance to watch the train go off, probably too. Yeah. Well, I mean, they still had the next like seven years for all both. Kids, oh, that's true. <laughs> their their last chance to see that fresh excitement from. Yeah. Youngster. It's the last time to watch the kindergartner go on the bus. So yeah, it's I I, I give them a pass. Yeah. Who I don't give a pass is Harry and Ron taking the fucking car for yeah, a flight to Hogwarts. Like, well, first off, that's gonna be a fucking story that the school tells for years. <laughs> you know, it's like, and that's one of the things I love about this movie is you see you see these little things that Ron and Harry and uh, Ron, Harry, and Hermione do. That it's just like, you know, 50 to 100 years from now, that's going to be a school legacy. Oh, yeah. yeah it's going to have it's going to it's going to evolve into something so much bigger and like more grand than it was before. And oh, one man. of those is Harry and Ron flying a f- car into the Whomping Willow to start off the second year of their school. <laughs> yeah. Like, Remember when uh, the famous wizards Ronald Weasley and Harry Potter destroyed the Whomping Willow in a flying Hummer? It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's brilliant. And it's, it's, it's just so funny. And there's nothing more enjoyable than watching Rupert Grant, who plays Ron Weasley, <laughs> act scared. Yeah. His his panicked shrieking is just brilliant. It's like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and his fucking face, dude. Oh, it's just so good. It's get it gets like so beat red, but it, like like uh, there's like no wrinkles on the most of his face until you get to the bottom where it's just like, oh, uh, <laughs> It, yeah Rupert oh, Grant, man, i love it it's great yeah it's like where hagrid was the perfect possible choice for hagrid where robbie coltrane sorry was yeah. the perfect possible choice for hagrid in the first movie ron in the second movie is or rupert grant jesus in the second movie <laughs> is the best possible choice for ron because yeah, it's definitely. just so he he captures that character's fear so well, and putting him next to brave Harry Potter is just wonderful. Yeah, definitely. They definitely foil each other pretty good. I I don't know if that's the right term, but complement each other. Um, yeah. Is it Rupert Grint? I'm looking at yes. the okay. All right. I've been saying Grant my whole life slash you know, <laughs> these last uh, twenty years. Yeah. G R I N T. Okay, yeah, they uh, learn something every day. Yeah, that's. 
but now we're at the we're at the school. The school year begins. Uh, we meet the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, who is played oh by God. Kenneth Branagh. His name is Golderoy Lockhart. I don't know why I said Golderoy. It's Gilderoy Lockhart, who is a just a pompous, over the top fop. Like <laughs> he's crazy. I love famous. <laughs> he's got a brilliant, beautiful smile. I notice yeah. I say brilliant a lot when I'm talking about Harry Potter. Like that's like because a go-to it's word for me is brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> Sorry guys, I don't have a I don't own a dictionary or a thesaurus, so you know, I, I'm a one-tone adjective guy. Yeah, he he owns a thousand and and probably more, probably a couple thousand books, but none of them are a dictionary or the parts. <laughs> I have, I have an Italian dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we were going through some stuff, and I had uh, three Spanish dictionaries and and a German <laughs> one. Uh, I kept oh, one man. of the Spanish ones. I think I got rid of of the rest of them, though. I I, I I'm probably not going to speak very much German. I don't know. <laughs> you got to. It's the growing language. But uh, yeah, you meet Gilderoy. He's the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. He he's written. 20 plus novels or whatever about his grand adventures and his epic achievements but at the same time in person he doesn't seem like he's really a good wizard at all he kind of just seems like he doesn't know jack shit about what he's talking about for that being the case he definitely puts himself in a lot of situations to fail like yeah what the hell dude (laughs) it's so silly it's like do you not know how to set yourself up to to succeed yeah anyways the 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 meat and potatoes of the chamber of secrets if you will is that the chamber of secrets gets opened yeah it's a mysterious uh secret passageway at hogwarts that is a legacy mm-hmm. you know there is so much history behind it but nobody actually knows what the fuck it is where its entrance way is right how to get in there well no fucking wonder the stairs fucking change <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Everything moves all the time. But there's also rumored that within the Chamber of Secrets is a mythological beastie of sorts. Yeah. That is murderous. And when the Chamber of Secrets is threatened as being opened, obviously the school goes into lockdown mode because that means students' lives are at danger. Because I guess the last time it was opened, a student did die. Mm-hmm. Moaning, moaning Myrtle, who is again also in Doctor Who. What a unique voice. Yeah, the Chamber of Secrets is opened. Harry and the gang begin immediately to suspect that they are the only ones to detective sleuth the mystery of the Chamber of Secrets. You know, Yeah, it's... I don't know if that's necessarily true in this movie. So I think like they are just like living off of the success of their endeavors in the first movie. Like there's so many things that they yeah. think, okay, we can do that because we're Harry Potter and the gang. And it's yeah. like, no, you're children. <laughs> there's bad things happening. But they, but they do do it. They do. Yeah, right. I said do do. They, they do, do accomplish it though. Yeah. Like Hermione figures it all out. You know, she solves basically everything. She just, is just also petrified at the same yeah. time so she can't yeah. tell them the, what she what she accomplished yeah there's actually a really big portion of this movie that does not have hermione in it which 
kind of surprised me on the rewatch because I, I I remember her being very important to the plot, which she was. Um, like especially yeah. when it came to the whole, is it? You know, it's it's different accent. I'm usually pretty good with accents, but I and I I just can't remember seeing it written. Is it mud blood or mug blood? Uh, mud blood. Mud blood. Okay. M U D. Yeah. So it's a slur for people who were not born from magical folk or who were born from muggles and then had uh, magical powers. Yeah. Do they also call people with like a split family relationship mudbloods or are they called half-bloods like in uh, later? Yeah, I think they're half-bloods. Okay. Well, anyways, it's a slur. It's a bad name. And Draco decides yeah. to call her it a couple of times in the movie and so yeah what's really interesting about this movie is that a lot of it is about racism pretty much there's some really interesting commentary yeah i definitely really appreciate it and again as you find out later at the this is a spoiler but again it's harry fucking potter yeah you probably know who voldemort is in real life in regards to his real life that is not in (laughs) real world life because it's a fictional story but before he was voldemort he was a, ma- uh, a man named tom riddle right and tom riddle's parents one he was a half-blood you know he had a, a wizarding mother and a muggle father and so this you have one of the situations where the guy who is promoting pure breed isn't a pure breed himself you know he's yeah pure blood i should say he's yeah. not pure blood himself which kind of mirrors the the whole Nazi regime thing. Exactly, yeah. 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 I mean, it's the same with Voldemort. And this movie goes deeper into that. It looks deeper into that character before Voldemort. And it's unique in that regard and how it does that. Because, obviously, if you if you don't know anything about Harry Potter, and I probably will have to put a spoiler wall before I say this part, but it's like, if you don't know anything about Harry Potter and have never watched any of the movies before, you think that the owner of this mystical diary that they find somewhere along the line, you think it's just a kid from the school uh, when, when the Chamber of Secrets was open the first time. You think it's just some random kid named Tom Riddle. But lo and behold, you find out at the end that Tom Riddle is actually Voldemort, and you get that unique view into him without realizing it. You know, And I, I really love that, that method of telling a story. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know when you're going to put up a wall or not, but for a good portion of this movie and in the past of the storyline, Hagrid is suspect as being the heir to Slytherin, which we didn't really talk about. When when they first hear about the Chamber of Secrets, the students, particularly Hermione, ask Professor McGonagall, what the hell is this? In those exact words. <laughs> she says, what the hell, Magali? <laughs> um, what in the fuck? <laughs> and she explains the origin of the school, which I think is the first time we get this in the movie series. Anyways, I'm not, I, I think last time yeah. I said I did not read the first two books, so I do not know if that's the case. But the four heads of the school, I'm not, I don't remember their first names, but Hufflepuff, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, oh, yeah. and Slytherin. Yeah, you go ahead. You know him. Yeah, I could totally. Yeah, I could totally. It was uh, uh, Salazar Slytherin, Godric Gryffindor, Rowena Ravenclaw, and Helga Hufflepuff. Well, there you go. 
Well, again, again, all very similar to like first and last names in that they have the same uh, first letter. And for a dyslexic kid, fuck you, J.K. Rowling, you're really hurting me, girl. Like, God, it was so, like, it was a challenge as a kid. Uh, she's hurting everybody right now, though. Hurting our hearts. Anyhow, Slytherin, he, he was the OG racist, thinking that wit, magic and being taught magic should be preserved for people who were born of magical people. And the other people disagreed with them. They thought anyone who has the ability because in this world you're born a wizard or a witch which you know in other other mythos that you could learn to become a wizard or witch but whatever he believed that and was they disagreed and eventually he left the school but he did have this chamber of secrets and it is believed that only people who are of blood relation to him his heir can open the the chamber and that comes in to play man there's a lot of times where harry's just in the wrong spot at the wrong time in this movie Uh, it's also like the most that i recall them using felch in in the series yeah is is for this yeah because he kind of he kind of just becomes a comedic relief character throughout the rest of the movies like they kind of just scrape him under the rug and like all right we're done with we're done with his character we're not going to expand him anymore he does get he does get brief moments in the books where you get more of a glimpse into his character but the movies just couldn't be bothered to do that like he's the poltergeist like he's a character in the books that's just completely ignored in the Mm -hmm. in the movies like they never even bothered to cast him and I mean, he has no purpose to the plot, but... He's just fun. Yeah, he's just a fun fun additional character, and that's how the movies start treating events of the books. It's like, if it doesn't have a... It has any correlation with the plot, we're just gonna ignore it, and, you know... I mean, yeah. You got so many fucking pages, and you gotta convert them into yeah. movie script. You gotta cut some things, for sure. But I'm sure some people would wish that these things were included. Like, even the scene where McGonagall explains the Chamber of Secrets in the books, it's Professor Benz, the history of magic professor, which, oh, like, if you're going to ask anybody the history yeah. of the school, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's just like, but he's a, he's a very dry, mundane, boring ghost who, you know, he, he was huh. lecturing when he died and he just continued lecturing. You know, just, <laughs> his ghost continues on. <laughs> I love and, that. That's awesome, and, actually. Right. But but in a movie atmosphere, you don't want to create that character because it's going to take way too long to, you know, establish him and to give it a reason and to, yeah. you know, to bother with it. So you do a character you've already established. You do Professor McGonagall, who people know and love because it's fucking, oh, no, I'm blanking it's on her name. It's fucking Maggie Smith, dude. As Dame Maggie Smith. Thank you. Gosh. But yeah, she is, again, brilliant in this role. And she delivers on the threat of the chamber. You know, it's how she tells that story. It kind of, you know, instills you with a little bit of fear. At least the kid me. Yeah, exactly. And kid me was like, oh, no, this is scary. You know, it's like, yes. In a television atmosphere, though you can bring it back to be Professor Bent yeah. because you can expand more characters and you can look deeper into it. And that's why I think Harry Potter should be a television series and not a freaking movie series. But yeah, I I'm, I'm glad that they <laughs> did do the movie theory series because I love these movies growing up. But I agree with you that yeah. it would make 
an amazing television series. Yeah. Okay, so what I was saying uh, earlier about Felch. As a kid, I definitely was intimidated by his character, especially in the first movie. And in this movie, it carried over. But as an adult watching this movie, I felt so bad for Felch, man. Oh, yeah. his fucking cat. I forget the cat's name, but it was sad. Mrs. Norris. Mrs. Norris, yeah. So they're walking down the halls. There's a big plot line in the movie where Harry's hearing voices. And I'm sure we'll talk yeah. about that later. But he follows the voices down the hall. And then all of a sudden he sees on the wall a message in blood. And Mrs. Norris is just hanging there. Yeah. And it ends up that she's petrified and she's okay later. But... Yeah, and the blood the blood is from dead chickens that were being killed out in the compound. Right. Compound out in the ground. What exactly does the message say again? I think it was the Chamber of Secrets has been opened. Enemies of the air, beware. That's right. That's right. That's what it is. So because Harry and his buddies are the first on the scene, and like just everybody shows up in this corridor for some fucking reason. Right. I'm not entirely sure why, but everybody just sees harry there in this this message in blood so um, immediately harry is suspect of of this of yeah. this crime and felch sees his cat and i mean oh my god he's just so heart torn from it and i just felt for him as a pet owner so much i felt for him he 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 immediately wants harry to be dealt with immediately but uh i believe dumbledore is there as as well and he's like listen i don't think we know everything that's that happened here we we need to ask questions but not only does dumbledore come to harry's aid but so does snape who's also on the scene who's just like he even mentions he's like i think mr potter was probably in the wrong place at the wrong time which is, you know, it's kind of surprising, but at the same time, you realize the the magnitude of the chamber being opened. Like, even Snape is like, you know, we shouldn't just rush into things. This is something really serious and really right, bad. Right. I I just I just wanted to mention that they they really used Argus Filch really well in in this particular movie. I think uh, compared yeah. to the rest of the movies, from my recollection, anyways. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree think we've talked the story enough you know the characters are just as lovely as they were in the first film so like if you love Definitely. all the acting you're going to be just as enjoyed uh just as thrilled with the acting in this plus the um again we've already talked that the atmosphere got darker which i i thought was yeah. brilliant for this movie especially when they get into the chamber when you finally explore that mythical paradise oh, yeah. that it is <laughs> it's it's so dark yeah, it's and gloomy. pretty great Oh, I love it. Like, it seems as if, so I guess it makes sense architecturally wise, because when you build a castle, you usually pick a location that is already naturally defendable, and then you just build onto that. But there is definitely some natural structures mixed in with this awesome architecture in the chamber. It's like a cave that, uh, that Slytherin built onto. It's pretty cool. And then there's that really big like uh snake the, the the door of the chamber with the snakes and shit. That that thing is fucking cool. Right. And and it's built 
it's like hidden as a sewage system kind of. And so, you know, that's yeah. why you would never have noticed it is because it just kind of looks like sewage tubes or sewer tubes. Yeah, let's go down there and explore. Yeah. That's something only Harry and the gang would would think <laughs> of. <laughs> right. Yeah, they finally do get there. And again, to give to give these kids benefit, they do solve the mystery. So it's like there's yeah. so many moments where you're like, you're just kids, you shouldn't be looking into this. And yet they are the only ones who seem capable of actually solving the crime or solving the issue. Right, right. At some point, um, Dumbledore is honestly depending on them to do this. Yeah, yeah. So at, at the beginning of the movie, you feel like you guys are some dumb fucking high school kids. I guess like middle schoolers really at this yeah. age. And it's like, you guys are just going to get yourself killed. But then like Dumbledore, like, literally gets pulled out of the situation for strange legal reasons yeah and he and he like voices to them while they're being hidden by the invisible cloak that he's depending on them to to figure this out yeah it's like it's up to you i'm I'm being removed it's very cool but at the same time you're wondering how much of this could dumbledore have solved himself you know, all these kids are right. these three. These kids are doing all this detective work and like discovering all these things that are going on. And Dumbledore already has a lot of this knowledge, so why doesn't he just step in and stop it himself? Yeah, like he, so they had to have done something the first time around to either convince. Uh, I guess it's we've already spoiled that it, it's Tom that did it the first time around. Yeah. To, to either convince Tom to stop or uh, or something happened that made him decide to stop or they did something that stopped him. Uh, yeah. Oh, probably just Hagrid taking the blame for it. Like maybe Tom felt like there was too much heat on him yeah. after, the, after the kid died and blamed it on Hagrid and left yeah. it at that. He probably didn't like Hagrid either because Hagrid's half giant. That might be part of the story i don't know well later on later on i don't know how the how much the movies go into it but in the books uh giants actually were part of voldemort's army in the first wizarding world because the wizards are racist bastards who treat everyone who is not a wizard like they're trash so like they killed giants and they they drove them out of britannia and you know being half giant was probably more of like a a shoe-in to voldemort's army because it's like you're sp- you're you know you're uh spunned i want to say spunned it's not the word spurned you're spurned by society sure that you know it's like come join the death theaters as long as you're not you know muggle lover yeah yeah but but I, I do think you're right i do think that hagrid taking the fall taking the blame for the first time the chamber was opened i think it was just no longer fun for tom in a sick way you know, yeah. there was there was no more there there was too much heat, as you said. There was too many eyes on him. Yeah. That it just he would have been caught. So I think you're right that that's why it's why it stopped the first time around. What house was Haggard in? You know, I wanna I wanna say he would either have been Gryffindor or Hufflepuff. Yeah, he feels like a Hufflepuff, really. Yeah. I, I would but say But I just I feel like intuitively um, But like it did seem like he and Tom were kind of friends. Yeah, I guess he could have been in Slytherin uh, too. But he's such a pure soul that I I feel like he wouldn't have been in Slytherin. But yeah. the giantess and him, yeah. giantess. He's not female giant. The giantness 
in him yeah might might appeal more to the slytherin house i don't know maybe yeah, it's, i don't know it's fun to think about i would like to believe he's gryffindor interesting question i could see him being yeah because he he definitely fits in with with the kids yeah uh pretty well what an interesting school system <laughs> yeah and, and again there's a lot that's just not focused on that i would love to get more focus like again i nothing against this movie this movie covers everything it needs to and establishes the world even more than the first one like it continues to build on it and it's beautiful and i you know i I, again i'm going to use the word it's brilliant it's (laughs) it's wonderful but the the things that i wish would get more attention are things like the wizard or the weasley family you know harry spends some time with them and you get a brief glimpse into what it's like to see harry in a happy family relationship but we don't get to focus on them too much. They're just kind of like the exposition dump moments where it's just like, all right, we're about to go back to the second year. What do we need to set up? Quickly, Ron, tell them at the dinner table what's going to happen. <laughs> right. So you talking about the Weasleys kind of made me think about their rivalry with rivalry with the Malfoys, yeah. uh, which brings me to honestly, I think he is a pretty interesting character. Uh, I hate oh, yeah. him, but uh, Draco's dad, uh, Lucius, played by Jason Isaacs, yes. does a wonderful job. He does yeah, a great he's so job. so sinister. Yeah, um, especially in this mm. movie. Later movies, less so. Um, but that So he's got a lot of intimidation factor, but once you bring in like the, the big bads, he, he kind of shrivels yeah. away. Yeah, I, yeah, I he definitely say. pales but, to them. Yes, but in this movie... I don't know. This this is this is big spoilers probably. Uh you know, he is the biggest bad that Harry's gone up against so far. Uh, he has a lot of power. He's a he's in the political system. He's the one who gets Dumbledore removed from the yeah. school. And it is all so that he can reignite this basically race war yeah. uh in the wizarding world. Yeah, like I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, again, as you said, huge spoiler, so tread lightly going forward in regards to listening, but I don't know to the extent of knowledge he had about the diary itself. You know, I don't know if he knew sure. how much power the diary had or if it would just possess somebody. But, you know, through through yeah. these actions that yeah. he is so hands-off from, he brings this school to its knees, and it's like, as you said, he's a different type of villain. You know, it's the first one is, you know, the first movie you have, uh, I don't want to spoil the villain, I guess, if you haven't watched it yet, but the first movie's villain is more upfront wizard. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a magical duel kind of, whereas the second villain in Lucius Malfoy is more of a governor, you know, he's more of like a political yeah. villain and it's all about the politics for him and it's all about like the the steps he can do to unravel the school he's definitely a i look down uh at you from my uptipped nose type of character mm-hmm. um and i i think jason isaac's just he nails mm-hmm. it all the malfoys have blonde hair and he's got this long like elvish blonde yeah. hair on it's just stunning eyes oh, like yeah. they even do like the the um the lighting trope where they just light the eyes it's usually 
Uh, it, sometimes they use it for villains in classic movies, but it, they they do it a lot for women when they're trying to make them feel alone. Yeah. They just put a, a line of light over their eyes. They do that for him in Dumbledore's office, yeah, and I'm like, it's oh, good. I love that. It is good. Yeah, I usually complain about it when I see it done with women because it's like, gosh, you know, women are alluring enough. You don't have to to do that. Um, But you don't need the sex appeal. Yeah, you don't need. Yeah, you don't need to amplify the the sex in it. Just just let them be who they are. Let that let the actor's choices do. Yeah, let their natural essence just Uh, carry it across. Yeah. And, and, And I also do a really smart in uh that particular scene in dumbledore's office because it it, there's obviously a window there i don't know if it's natural light but uh they did it in a way that it felt like natural light and that i mean that's the only way to do it if you ask me because sometimes especially in tv when they do it it's like oh god that's (laughs) light that light is coming from nowhere other than a fucking uh, source for um for those who don't know, I worked for a long time uh, at an opera house focusing lights. Yeah. So every movie is ruined for me when it comes to lighting. <laughs> I just I have to think about technical stuff. But, but at the same time, once you start thinking critically, you're just kind of keeping them on their toes. So it's like, you know, when you're when yeah. you're making a film, whenever you set a light, you have to think, where's this light coming from? And does it make sense for the, the shot? And right. not every movie is going to care yeah. about that because that's not, you know, not every director's focused on that kind of a thing. But generally speaking, no, I'm by no means a lighting designer. I, I honestly suck at the design aspect of, of lighting. So I don't know that I could do better, but I do know some of the tropes in lighting yeah. and I can see it and it, and it's usually not good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh you you don't want your audience to notice yeah and for the most most of this film it's candlelight and it looks beautiful and it makes so much sense for a castle atmosphere for you know the the mystical Mm. magicness of the world like it's it's all wonderfully done but like you're right it's whoever the lighting designer or the cinematographer i didn't write the cinematographer down but they did a great job throughout this movie it's it's all beautiful yeah they really did yeah Especially these first two movies, it's just awesome. The atmosphere in these first two movies, hands down, just this. The it's the magic, magic, magical world of Harry yeah. Potter, of Wizarding World. And the special effects even got better. Oh yeah, it's, speaking of the effects, the the monsters. I don't know how much we want to talk about the monsters in this film, but they definitely are more highlighted in yeah. this film than in the the previous one. And they feel practical. Um, you know, there's uh, yeah. There's a lot of giant monsters that I don't want to give the the species away, but when they when they utilize them when they're on screen, they're menacing. They're really cool, and really creepy. Oh yeah, especially when they start talking. To oh them. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the voice acting for them are really good yeah. too. They really yeah. are. Yeah, and uh. the the final monster, the big bad beastie at the very end, is. I mean, it's a little dated, just like a tiny bit, but I don't care. Sure. It, the the effects are so good. It's good. Yeah, it's such a great it fight. Is good. And 
Oh, yeah, that just that last plunge. That's all I'll say. That last plunge between in the it's fight. iconic. So it's good. iconic. Like, yeah. at, at least in my brain, in my mind, yeah. it's engraved. Like, if I think of that scene, I think of those last few shots and the, that last plunge, as you said. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that, that whole final finale scene is like way above the first movie, in my opinion. Like, the first movie's finale is great, also. Oh, yeah. In that first movie, I think that that finale scene is really important to set up Harry's character for the rest of the movies. While this one, this is just so much more epic and uh, also really important plot wise too. Not that the first one wasn't important plot wise, but it's, it's a niche ending for sure. But it also shows Harry's just intuitive skill as like a person, even like, He's stripped of magic yeah. here. It's just it's yeah. just him and a sword and a beastie. And you know, he he has to use yeah. his brain, he has to use his his athletics athleticism, which he is not a very athletic kid. It's wonderful. Like yeah. it's 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 a very Well, he's the seeker. He, yeah, you know. that's right. Yeah, he has, he does have to have a sleek body for aerodynamics. But in yeah. a sword fight, I don't know if you would really want a sleek thin kid fighting. <laughs> Obviously, you wouldn't want to put a kid it in this situation. It is a p- pretty light sword. The sword he's using is is pretty is 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 good for his body. Yeah, build. which makes you which makes uh, you wonder. I missed what you said. Well, it makes you wonder with the sword like that. Like, was Godric Gryffindor was like a shorter human, or was he was just like <laughs> maybe? Because yeah. it is kind of a dinky little sword for a, a grown man to carry around. But also, maybe, maybe because of the the qualities of the sword it kind of just shows up when you need yeah. it maybe it, it it forms it magically forms to fit the body of of the person wielding i like it. that i like that a lot yeah i like that too work around yeah. and you know what i i don't see why a person of my build and you know if you guys ha- have seen our our artwork if you could call it that our doodle <laughs> Uh, of of myself uh that's pretty accurate to how i'm built i'm a big person <laughs> um and i i wouldn't say i wouldn't use that sword i'm sure i could swing it pretty yeah, fast <laughs> that is true. I, I mean yeah you're right it, i guess it isn't too short of a sword for a grown man i don't know i think jk rowling should hire us to help retcon her stories because i think we got that shit down pat <laughs> yeah 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 we should just that should just be part of the book yeah the uh yeah because it would really be cool if it showed up later in harry's life and it was a long story (laughs) he's like fuck yeah (laughs) gryffindor there's one uh funny moment that is a spoiler for the next movie but i wanted to talk about it right now while i remember because it made me laugh so hard Mm-hmm. Again, as we mentioned, uh, Ron's wand is broken, so most spells backfire on him. So, right. like, he'll he'll cast a spell yeah. and it'll just backfire on him or something in his vicinity, or or the spell itself just won't work properly. And like the slugs, oh my god! In the scene where uh, I'm actually talking about, in the scene where McGonagall is explaining the Chamber of Secrets. Whoa! Big spoilers for Prisoners of Azkaban. Uh, if you want to skip that, skip to 52.15. That scene starts off with Ron trying to turn his pet rat Scabbers into a cup, into a goblet. And yeah. 
it fa- it fails and you just get a goblet that kind of looks like a rat you know it just looks like rat skin shaped into a goblet yeah tail still yeah. wagging and then that scene proceeds to happen where McGonagall explains the history of Hogwarts and the Chamber of Secrets and the first time it opened right and in the next movie you find out that that rat is actually a wizard named Peter Pettigrew and so I watched this entire scene just sitting there thinking Peter has to listen to all like a goblet and I want to know how that feels for him because he is like <laughs> so yeah. fucking funny because he's not a good character he, he's a he's a, another villainous character oh. but it is so yeah. wonderful that he was just shaped into a goblet for that entire scene <laughs> it is pretty good well i don't know man i think i think we probably talked this movie yeah um, I, I i could talk this movie a lot probably more than we have definitely um I think I said last time that this is the movie that I've seen the most uh, out of, <laughs> but not out of by choice. Franchise. <laughs> not by choice, but honestly, I had enough time in between watches that there was definitely there was definitely things from other movies that I thought were in this movie um, that uh, I was surprised weren't in yeah. there. <laughs> um, so I I I definitely had enough time in between. I would say I do really like this movie. Um, and if I can go ahead and go into closing statements, yeah. I can. Uh, I definitely a full faced movie. You know what? I would even give this movie a mm. face and a half. This is a good movie. I don't know if it's necessarily better than the first movie. Maybe it is. I I I can't say that off the top of my head. But I did really enjoy this watch through. Yeah, go go see this movie. Obviously, you need the first one to set it up. I yeah. would say. And they just pair each other so well. Uh, both these movies directed by Christopher Columbus, or is it just Chris just, Columbus? Yeah, I think it's just Chris. Either way. <laughs> but I, you know, bouncing off that, wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I gave the first movie four stars. I do personally believe this is a better film. I believe Chamber of Secrets is more magical, and I think it sets up the world better. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to do what Sorcerer's Stone yeah. did. The Sorcerer's Stone already delivered the magical world really well. And this just took mm. that and added on to it. And it made it darker. And yeah, the effects definitely. are just beautiful. And I loved everything about it. And they made the Quidditch scene even more enthrill- like thrilling and exciting. Oh, yeah. When they're weaving in through the bleacher things. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. It was so yeah. good. And you know, there's a rogue bludger that's chasing them around everywhere. And the, the sounds the bludger is making are so menacing like it's whistling through the air and you're just like oh fuck this thing is like a deadly (laughs) a deadly obstacle and yeah yeah you know they just they added so much to this film to this franchise that i i think it's a much better film than the first one and like four stars wholehearted recommendation hell yeah you know i again i like it more than the first one and you need the first one to set it up but you're right they're together paired well or together they are a pair And they're paired very well, and it's it's almost jarring, yeah, how the series shifts after this it is it is i i can't i I won't say that I dislike the next movie because i <laughs> my dog um i I do enjoy the next movie, uh but it is just vastly different, yeah, um, and I guess we'll talk about it next time, yeah, next week. Um, on green and faceless on the couch 
The Prisoner of Azkaban. Dun, dun, dun. I've been the Green Traveler. And I have been the Faceless Leon. Safe travels, and good night. Green and Faceless on the Couch is a proud production of Fiction Works 19. If you like the show, please show your support by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Like, follow, subscribe, wherever you might listen. We also now have a Patreon account. If you feel so inclined to support us in a financial manner, please become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash greenandfaceless. You can also find more information about us on our Facebook account or on the FictionWorks19 Instagram account. Thank you so much for listening.